Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, welcome on to... Our 2020 Eastern Conference offseason regrades. But first, we got some news to get to, and that begins with one Kawhi Leonard returning to the LA Clippers. Yeah, and we wondered what kind of contract Leonard was going to sign with the Clippers. We talked about the possibility of him flexing his muscle by signing a one plus one despite being out for a significant portion of the coming season. He did not, in fact, do that. Instead, he signed a three plus one, three years and a fourth year player option with the LA Clippers. That means that he will be there for a long time. That also, oh no, I was going to say that, that, yeah, that does sync up his timeline with Paul George, which is notable. That's sort of similar in some respects to what the Nets guys did, though on a very different timetable because the Clippers guys are just doing these contracts now. So I, I'd say that's uh, I'd say a positive resolution for the Clippers. They get more certainty for Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, and I had posited that potentially, and to be clear, I thought this had, you know, like a 20% chance of being true that maybe Leonard wanted another one plus one. And once he opted out and there weren't any other teams meeting with him, that the Clippers were like, no, we're not going to just pay you $40 million solely for the purpose of, of rehabbing. And then you can leave us at the end of the year. And they wanted him to sign a longer deal we'll never know surely exactly how it was that this went down because there also are some reasons for Leonard to do this and we've seen this with Jimmy Butler two years ago we saw it with Kevin Durant who just did this now that with the new extension rules as long as you are on a three years or longer contract you can extend after the two-year anniversary of signing the contract. And so what Kevin Durant did, he's already at the 10-plus year max, as Kawhi will be now. So KD signed a 3-plus-1, and then after two years, he played a great year, obviously, last year, at least in the playoffs. He's eligible to sign to tack another four years onto that. So Kawhi's in the exact same situation now, really, that KD was two years ago. And so he's probably going to sit out this year, you would imagine. And then if he comes back and he plays at you know even a top 10 player in the nba type of level you know he'll be about the same age that jimmy butler is now butler i'd imagine Kawhi even after the acl is going to play better than jimmy butler did last year and then after one good year he'll be able to sign an extension now he'll probably do what james harden is going to do with the nets where he'll opt in because he'll get eight percent raises on the fourth year and he'll only be he'll be above the max probably so he would only if he opts out of that fourth year he would only get 105 percent of what he made the previous year whereas he'll get an eight percent raise 108 percent of what he made the previous year by opting into that fourth year but he can still tack three years out of that so essentially what this is what they are hoping that this will be 
is almost a seven-year contract that'll take him through to what like age 37 basically so that's the idea here for Kawhi to just at age 32 for this type of player to be able to leverage on four more years actually it'll really be it'll be five years into the future is what he'll be able to sign for and be getting this crazy salary through age 37 when he probably won't even though he's a great great player probably won't be worth that but he'll be getting with all these raises probably about 60 million bucks by the end of that contract so this is sort of the new normal butler did it kd did it and now Kawhi wants to do it after he signed uh, basically for two uh, the two plus one before so he could start off at the 10 plus years experience level so this to me actually does make sense for Kawhi Paul George did this also uh, with OKC he was actually really the first one Aaron Mintz his agent started this when he re-signed with OKC with the new extension rules and Woj reported that this was their strategy at the time so that's what I think is going on here whether this happened because they wouldn't give him the one plus one I I probably don't think that's the case. And then another th- nice thing I thought of too, Dan, was see what you think of this is if a trade needs to be made for the LA Clippers and, you know, Paul George would probably be the bait there, or even if it's someone a little bit more low level, like they're getting to where they can start to at least trade a pick, but over the next couple of years, they'll be able to do more. And there was somebody who wanted to come there. He's under contract for longer. So there's that level of stability with someone knowing that he's he'll be there if they do come. Yeah, I, I think there is validity to that approach and that the the stability there and that that was the kind of the weak side you could argue of the LeBron James strategy which kind of predates that of going one year at the time was that players might have been less interested in committing to Cleveland after LeBron you know they weren't sure that he was going to be there Kevin Love ended up you know signing extension after LeBron already left but that's a different circumstance I think your theory of the case with the kind of extension series is is a really good one and I think that it is a reminder of the stark contrast between the current regime and the previous one Durant is a great test case of this where Durant under the broken extension system does not sign an extension and hits unrestricted free agency goes to the Golden State Warriors and then you know has a different set of circumstances where he's on those short-term contracts and then now using the new extension system is solidifying his later career future with Brooklyn the other nice thing about the Clippers too is you know this isn't a Dan Gilbert situation where you have to keep the guys honest you know by potentially being able to leave like Steve Ballmer is just going to pay that is his reputation so it does seem like Kawhi and the Clippers are very much in lockstep here and not a surprise that he wanted to stay there long term as well maybe things would have been different if he hadn't partially torn his ACL and had that surgery speaking of these same types of contracts extensions Sean Marks talked about the Nets free agency he said that they're talking to Irving and James Harden about contract extensions, and he is, quote-unquote, confident that by the time training camp starts, they will be under contract, Durant, Harden, and Irving, all under contract long-term with the Nets. And the most pressing of those now is Hard- is Harden, because if Harden, the expected structure with him is that he will opt in and extend, because that gets Harden more money. And if that's the case, you have to, if it's not the final year of your contract, you have to extend before the start of the year. Whereas Kyrie Irving, theoretically, were he to decline his player option, then extend off of his current contract, that could happen in season. But there's still plenty of time. I, I think if the players want to do it, that th- these will both happen. Yeah, Harden will, because he would opt into the final year of his contract because if he opts out he would get paid less 
in yes. 22-23. That's that same thing, that 105% of your personal maximum versus the 108% raise that didn't apply to KD because KD was re-signing with a new team. So he only got 5% raises, whereas Harden re-signing with his old team back in Houston got 8% raises. So he would want to take advantage of that. We can jump to the Nets rivals in Boston and they signed Dennis Schroeder. Schroeder was withering on the vine after we we wondered how this free agency was going to go, whether there really was going to be anybody left standing when the music stopped and it ended up being Schroeder. And even with his track record, Schroeder, it sounds like from the reporting that was out there, he was looking for, like he was going to settle for a one plus one at the non-taxpayer, the more lucrative non-taxpayer mid-level 9.5. The Celtics said no and Schroeder blinked. So instead, Schroeder will be on the Celtics for the 5.9 taxpayer mid-level exception for on just a straight one-year contract. And at this point in time, this is by far the best landing place for Schroeder, a decent team that also, I think he'll have a chance to start and finish games, but not necessarily that that's going to be guaranteed for him. And that's something that over the years has been very important to him. And will he have a chance to really prove his value? That's going to be fascinating. There are not many great teams out there that have above the mid-level for next year, but and Boston does, as of now at least, have some cap space for next year that they could give him if it works out for him to stay there long term. This does seem like more of a marriage of convenience, however, but he does feel a need for the Celtics team. Yeah, I was concerned before the Schroeder edition that the Celtics did not have enough kind of guard creation is one way to put it. And Schroeder, despite his flaws, can do that. He can attack in a straight line and playing on a team with four spacing bigs, I think could be very good for him. You know, some some of the stuff with Al Horford, depending on how Ime Udoka wants to structure the rotation. So for, for Schroeder, like it, it makes some sense. It is it is. Uh, kind of in some ways remarkable that he wasn't able to get anything anywhere else. And this also is a a fascinating coda to the end of his tenure with the Lakers, who gave up a first-round pick in Danny Green to acquire Schroeder and had full bird rights on him. And with the departure of Alex Caruso, I think you could make an argument, had a place for him in the rotation that was just as good, if not better, than what the Celtics were offering. But whichever side happened, whichever side led to it, that did not, there, there was no return coming. Yeah, and after how things ended, and particularly some of the interpersonal aspects of that, that's not a huge surprise that they weren't incredibly interested in having him back in the end. But yeah, that type of hard penetration off the wings that Schroeder, I think, is the best at, more so maybe than running pick and roll up top, particularly if he plays when the Celtics have Al Horford at center. I think that is a very good fit for his game. Horford can do more of the passing that Schroeder is not great at. They'll have spacing for him to get to the basket and beat his man finish with the big man spread out so runs some of that handoff stuff backdoor cuts and also just to give him some point of attack pressure as well he might be a decent matchup against Kyrie Irving in the playoffs so this is the Celtics I think they're off season now which we'll talk about in relatively short order here looking better and not having to get into the long-term commitments you know i think they actually are probably a better team than what they left with and their financial house is in order they did have to give up the future first round pick with to exchange kemba for horford but 
even having lost Fournier, you know, Schroeder and Josh Richardson and Horford versus Fournier and Kemba. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's uh, that might end up being a, a decent trade-off in the end. Uh, let's uh, get to what else we have here. Yeah, so the only other news that we have are two contracts that we had heard about but we got additional color on what the terms are Lonzo Ball it is a four-year 80 million dollar deal that's a little less lucrative than we had that we had understood but that fourth year is a player option so he can hit unrestricted free agency as early as 2024 and he also has some unlikely bonuses I think that's probably the difference between reporting and that's something we've talked about a lot is that generally you get it from the 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 reporters get it from the agents originally so you get kind of the high value number and then when the contracts come in we get the likely and unlikely and all that kind of fun stuff and then in sorry San Antonio Zach Collins signed that surprising contract with San Antonio and now that we have the full details on it it looks a little bit less ridiculous so Collins is fully guaranteed for seven million in 21-22, but then only half guaranteed for 22-23 and zero guaranteed money for 23-24. Does that change your opinion of that deal at all? I still think it was too much, but I don't know that San Antonio. The opportunity cost for them probably wasn't that high for that seven million in space. So basically, instead, what you're doing is you're kind of buying two options for Zach Collins. You're buying one in 22-23 that's only partially guaranteed, then one for 23-24. And that's fine. I don't know that he is the player that I would have done that for just because he has had so many injuries. And I don't think that the best version of Zach Collins was so crazy good that you're getting like a, if he's 100% for the last two years of this deal, I don't think the surplus value is ridiculous. I don't think there's a $20 million player here. I'd love to be wrong but I don't expect it to be. So I still don't love it for San Antonio, but I hate it a lot less. Also, another thing to add, I had things wrong when we were talking about Spencer Dinwiddie. The reported numbers of the three years, $62 million, that includes that $1.5 million unlikely incentive for playing 50 or more games. So it doesn't actually get him up to higher than that three for 62. That includes uh, that bonus. So just to be clear, uh, now playing 50 games, a relatively low threshold. So hopefully uh, he'll be able to get that and make it the full three for 62. But it doesn't appear that he has much uh, ability to exceed that the, the way I thought that he did it when we talked about it last. And let's just run through here quickly who's left out there now unrestricted free agents obviously looking very limited at this point in time you know at point guard you just got like jeff teague brad wanamaker out there dante axum frank nilakina dennis smith um restricted still got jordan mclaughlin i believe as a point guard option and then uh. shooting guards you still got josh hart hamadou diallo and garrison matthews out there as restricted free agents haven't heard anything really even even like the in the media posturing like we've seen with marketing who of course is out there as well uh another restricted free agent is jared vanderbilt at age uh, 22 on the power forward line and then unrestricted guys at shooting guard langston galloway etuan moore tyler johnson jj reddick svi mikhailiuk uh got his qualifying offer pulled then at the three, James Ennis still out there at this point. Wes Matthews still out there at this point. That's about it uh, as far as like established unrestricted guys. Uh, Thanasis Sadakupo actually just signed a, a, as well on a two-year deal, interestingly. They could have saved a little bit of luxury tax scratch by just signing him to the one-year veterans minimum, although not much given his uh, experience level. 
Uh, Roddy Magruder actually is also returning to the Pistons. Yeah, so, the, so the, pi- well. the Pistons re-signed two players that they waived. It does happen, but uh, sure. Magruder and, and Corey Joseph both had contracts that were too rich for, for their contributions, so both got waived, cleared waivers, and then re-signed with the Pistons. Yeah, then it... Oh, uh, and, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, one other interesting note on Detroit I was just working through. I hadn't really thought about their roster structure in a bit. They have 15 fully guaranteed contracts. No, I'm not even including Servetus in that because uh, he's already been waived, but... Uh, um, that doesn't include Amadou Diallo. I fully presume that they will waive somebody once they get Diallo back. Troy Weaver acquired him for a reason. Um, that could be Jaleel Okafor. It could be a couple other things. But it is it is unusual to see a team use cap space and have extra guys. But I mean, I'm all for it. I think that I think the team should go into seasons with you know should go after 16, 17 guaranteed guys more often. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Saban Lee is back for them as well. Uh, Tyler Cook guaranteed, right? Is that, are you including him? I am not including him. I thought he got waived. Okay. Maybe, oh, oh I think I have the old guarantee date in for yeah. So he probably he, just he doesn't pl- guarantee yet. Yeah. Uh, he was playing for their summer league team. He, no, he, he got, he got waived on July 31st. Huh. So be it. But I guess he's still playing for their summer league team anyway. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that'd be, Jill Okafor probably would seem like the most likely candidate uh, for them to move on from. And then uh, going back to some of the guys who are still out there, Paul Millsap doesn't seem like he really wants to play for the minimum. I'm sure there are teams that would want to give him that. You know, maybe if he gets a larger offer, you know, then you're down to Patrick Patterson, Stanley Johnson. Oh, one one idea potentially for Millsap. Maybe he takes the first half of the season off and sees like if he basically if all that's available to him is the minimum, see where you can actually go, who needs you, something like that. Yeah, that's a, a potential good idea, particularly if it's, you know, a a minimum thing or maybe he could get paid the minimum for two months using somebody's exception or something like that um other guy that i that i like uh, along that line you know jakar sampson is still out there he actually played well as like a small ball backup center and Jawan morgan is the other guy that i kind of like there uh, as well and then at center demarcus is still out there harry giles is still out there marquis chris bismack biombo luke cornett guys uh, all guys who played some in the league but let's get to the off season of 2020. Those days uh, of your nine months ago, regrading the Eastern Conference. Let's start with the Atlanta Hawks. What did they do? They did a lot. Travis Schlenk was extremely aggressive. He signed Danilo Gallinari, Rajon Rondo, Chris Dunn, Solomon Hill, uh, and then signed Bogdan Bogdanovich to an offer sheet, which the Kings did not match. He also traded Dwayne Dedman for Tony Snell and Kyrie Thomas. Snell stayed on the team, caught they waved Thomas. And technically, the Gallinari thing was a sign and trade. They gave a protected second. Schlenk also drafted Ineka Kongwu, sixth overall, and Skylar Mays, 50th overall. So I gave them a B plus initially, and the only reason I didn't give them a higher grade was that I said if they just didn't get Rondo, I'd really like it. And remember, they signed him to two years at seven and a half million per. And obviously, he was terrible for them. We did not get playoff Rondo, but they're able to move on from him. Get Lou Williams, a superior player. Lou Williams won them a playoff game, that crazy comeback game that they had in Game Five against Philly, and. You'd also say I think he, he was pretty instrumental in them winning game four uh, against the Bucs as well. 
with Trey out. And they also picked up a couple of second round picks as well, amazingly in that transaction. So even though Rondo didn't work out for them, he had enough value to go to the Clippers. So I mean, Bogdanovich, they played that perfectly. He was huge for them, even though he, he kind of wore down, had that knee issue in the playoffs. He was really big in their huge surge in the second half of the year. Another really interesting move that they made that worked out great, we talked about this back at the time, was Nate McMillan coming in as an assistant coach we we were i was like yeah pierce is under pressure nate mcmillan might actually be a good option and boy was he so that turned out great too yeah i was torn between regrading i'm moving this from a b plus to an a or an a minus and i ended up with an a partially because of the mcmillan thing and because the biggest as you said the biggest negative was was rondo and yes they still got that half season of rondo who wasn't good and getting off of that negative contract was fortunate but they did and gallo helped them bogdanovich helped them and even though some of those players including bogdanovich missed time that depth was extremely important for the hawks even making it into the five seat because if they had injuries at other places on the roster including deandre hunter and cam reddish and so if they didn't have the depth of gallo bogdanovich eventually lou williams and i mean chris dunn missed a bunch of time but that was unforeseeable i mean it just just happened like in, in there there are those occurrences so schlank did that the other reason why this is an like is an a but we i'm a little bit cautious is is a kong Wu. i was very impressed with some of what we saw from him in the playoffs i think that he there's tool i don't think he's like a surefire starting center especially not at top 15 or anything like that but i like the signs there and a kong Wu was you know i i'm not gonna i'm gonna try not to invoke tyrese halliburton for everybody and i mean there were a couple guys like i, mean, I think i'd rather have i'd rather have halliburton than a kong Wu right now but versus the players that were taken immediately after him i think a kong Wu is a totable if not like preferable selection so i i think that that and 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 skylar mays we'll see i I, but i mean it's the 50th pick you're not going to have high expectations of success there anyway yeah i think okongu has the ability to potentially be a defensive difference maker and when you're judging the process watching the playoffs obviously he started very slow with the foot issue now he's got the shoulder and that's going to hurt his development but you could see what the thought was and my concern was that he wouldn't be quite athletic enough to be a defensive difference maker and i actually some of those concerns were quelled to me by some of at least the flashes that he had in the last two rounds of the playoffs and so yeah i mean given that range halliburton they didn't have the obvious need for halliburton that some of the teams below them that were going to knock for not taking him did and also just they had the 47 million in cap space last offseason and they got maybe the two best guys to change teams uh, unless i'm forgetting someone from the 2020 offseason getting gallo and bogdanovich you know those guys were actually gallo was a bit of a luxury maybe playing behind john collins but i thought that they did a really nice job getting those guys in and they're a little superfluous but they paid them enough that they came and they helped and they're going to continue to help and then the other thing we could say too is they were not able to reach an extension with john collins they reportedly offered him five for or i'm sorry four for 90 and they ended up now kind of pretty close to that same range except they gave him a four plus one instead of a four-year deal which that hurts a little bit but uh they ended up you know what was it five for 120 so kind of pretty much in that same per year amount that they offered him that he didn't take but they now have more certainty that he actually is going to be good after a year and him playing well in the playoffs so i think that 
you know, not bumping it up even higher to extend him was probably the right decision, although it doesn't really matter that much in the end. So, so I yeah, moved I them up to an A, to, to be clear. Yeah, as, as did I. Um, let's move on to the Boston Celtics. The Celtics, I described their 2020 offseason as a brutal one that happened in slow motion. The reason why is so they used the mid-level exception on Tristan Thompson. They got Jeff Teague for the minimum, and they picked up uh, they picked up some seconds and dumped 30 in that Ennis Kanter deal. So they used number 30 to dump Ennis Kanter, but they picked up two Memphis seconds. They also dumped Vincent Poirier, and they retained Ojale, gave Tatum the player option, which now in context looks a little bit better because now that is becoming the standard operating procedure for high-end rookie-scale extension negotiations, but yeah. they were partially among Partially the- because of what they did. Yes. But but yes, I think did exactly. they, I can't remember whether they or Donovan Mitchell agreed first. I think it might have been Donovan Mitchell who agreed first. Yeah, it might have been. Um, and so though those are all parts of the story. And they lost Wanamaker in addition to all the other stuff we talked about. And Gordon Hayward went to the Celtics and that's where went to the Hornets. And that's where I wanted to start this. I gave them an F plus because the reporting at the time was basically that Danny Ainge was trying to squeeze the Indiana Pacers. Incidentally, if memory serves, it was to get Victor Oladipo, of all things. It was basically that Miles Turner wasn't enough, and that was, A, that was a tactical mistake. And that, so so for me, it was a, a lost opportunity. And in the regrade, we got a little bit more context on what happened, and it's interesting on how you think about it, because they created this trade exception, which were like, okay, how are they going to use this trade exception? They got it They got it in the, in the Hayward signing trade. They ended up getting Evan Fournier. Fournier was a better than expected outcome for well, that. And they also got Josh Richardson, too. Yes. And they also got Josh Richardson, too. Um, so Fournier, better than expected. And Richardson said, so the collective is much better than expected. Fournier is also now gone um, on a, you know, on the contract that Nick signed him to. It looks better as a three, as a three, or f- I guess that's a three minus one is the terminology we use. No, four, four um, minus four one. Four minus one. Because yeah. it's four year, yeah. Okay. And so for me, so I moved them, so I moved them up from an F plus to a D in part because they use the trade exception better than I anticipated. And in part because I think their draft picks are looking better than I anticipated too. We hadn't scouted any of their guys. They were too deep in the draft, but I, I'm feeling better about Neesmith and Pritchard than I was before. Yeah, I think we did a mini scout on Neesmith, or at least uh, I did. I think you did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, I think Neesmith had a nice summer league. Peyton Pritchard had some moments in his first season now they had they had a third pick as well which was Desmond Bain which they gave up and Bain at least as a rookie was better than either of those guys but we'll see what ends up happening with with these guys career it's tough to bring in three rookies in, in the position that they were in and they picked up some surplus seconds and and they used i can't remember whether whether specifically those seconds but they used some seconds to uh pick up evan fournier as well i think i would stick with the d minus which is what i gave them initially because of just the total flub of i shouldn't say the total flub of the hayward situation because they did get that trade exception but i think you know getting miles turner as reported still would have been way way better the tristan thompson signing they got a little out of him but that salary wasn't great they had to dump him they were able to do it at least uh but you know they still ended up with chris dunn who's dead salary and they got a second out of that deal uh the other path not taken was just meeting hayward's salary demand so he would stay 
was that a, was it a good idea to let him go? I think so. I mean, they, they might have got him for less than thirty million. They might have maybe they could have got him for 25. like twenty five. Yeah, I, I think that it would have put a lot of eggs in that you know in that basket. Yeah. And Hayward had a better year than we anticipated, but I I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I but think he also the, you know missed the, the last month of the season. Mm-hmm. And that injury risk is not going anywhere. In fact, I, I would say that it's only expanding with time. So I think I think that was the right decision. But I mean, they they had the chance to get Miles Turner. I mean, he would have made, he'd make such a huge difference to them. And even if you know Robert Williams improves dramatically, then you have a luxury. You have an embarrassment of riches there instead of instead of needing that a little bit more. And then Horford getting Horford back eventually, you know that that helps them in certain respects. But I mean, they also lost Kemba and they and so everything else. So yeah, I I moved them from an F plus to a D. But it's. It, it, I, I still think Ainge made some. He made some real mistakes, and while it's not the you know the 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 defining thing for this iteration of the franchise, I do think that it changes what they will be and what they can be. Yeah, well, I think it's also important to just remember where they were and what happened in the Eastern Conference this last year. Right now, it, the injury things like it, it's tough, right? Because you know Kemba came back, never was really quite the same. He got hurt again. Hayward got hurt again. But, you know, if you could have just taken the team that the Celtics were in the 2020 playoffs and transplanted them into the Eastern Conference in 2021, maybe they get out of the East, right? Like, they, that's like a, a possibility. There wasn't, I don't think, a great team once the Nets got injured. But, again, you get into so many injuries. Like, But they might have had well, a And, and Jalen Brown got hurt, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, the, we forgot about that, too. So uh, the Celtics are just in such a different place now as a franchise than they were we just have to remember like what they supposedly were at that point and yeah if they had miles turner under contract going forward you know who knows what would happen they never would have signed tristan thompson had that been the case the kemba for horford trade doesn't it would have just been such a different path for them if they had done things different which i thought was an obvious move at the time and yeah with the draft looking a little bit better maybe i should move it from a d minus up to a D and the fact that they did something with the trade exception which you didn't know they would do but and they've had so many injuries as well it's just it's really tough to judge this team I, I think if we, if they had been totally healthy last year and then just completely flamed out because of the moves that they didn't make uh, you know their defense really took a step back last year and if they had Miles Turner that would have been different um and having Hayward still you know if they maybe it would have been a little bit more than 25 million maybe it would have been like you know four for 110 or something like that uh they also were had these tax concerns they had to get off of money last offseason as well it's just it's you kind of got to just go through the moves one by one and say whether you would have done them or not and like so I I guess I'll move them up to a D from a D minus but I don't really even feel great about that and clearly it seemed like it was overall a negative offseason for them you have to conclude that given how good the team was and kind of now where they are is just not really a contender anymore well and that their general manager is no longer there their coach is still there but he is no longer their coach which is which is different so the um, the Brooklyn Nets uh they made a coaching change bringing in Steve Nash for I guess you could say Jock Vaughn Kenny Atkinson got uh, they moved on from him right before the hiatus Vaughn then was kept though as defensive coordinator I thought he did an excellent job there particularly in the playoffs they also brought in Mike D'Antoni to help Steve Nash I thought that coaching staff did a really good job and this is one where I, I think you have to say that their offseason was a total success. They put their team in a position to be a dominant team and just the health didn't work out for them. I mean, we saw just how ridiculously good these guys could be in that Boston series when they put up, I think might have been the best 
if not the best, it was like, you know, close to the top five, like just best ever offensive efficiency in a series against a not terrible defensive team. And, you know, they looked great at the start of the Milwaukee series. And, you know, if two of their three best players don't go down, they probably win the championship and they might have even done it relatively easily. Although, you know, going up against a full strength Clippers team would have been interesting as well. But, uh, then they also brought in jeff green who was very solid for them uh, at a minimum so solid that he priced himself out, out of their range and of course they made the harden trade during the season but they also got bruce brown in a trade for very little but how would you look at uh, their other major transaction which was getting landry shamit for the 19th pick that's one of the the two demerits for me. I think that Shamit didn't live up to my expectations, and yeah. I, I was high. You know, that was a move that I broadly supported at the time. I thought that having another shooter. Also, they didn't have Harden at this point, so it was you know getting getting somebody who can play off ball, who can who can take advantage of the attention that Kyrie and KD were generating. Though I thought they needed a defensive forward. It's like if you're gonna get your you know use use a chip in that way, you you would do that. I like the Bruce Brown addition. That worked out better than I expected. And then the other big one is Joe. Harris and Harris had a ton of leverage because it was very hard for the Nets to replace him and he still owed roughly 19 million a year for another three so I think it was four, it was four for about 18 million a year if memory serves and that is it, it is a kind of a willingness to pay a contract like I don't think Joe Harris is quote-unquote worth that in the abstract but when you can't replace him if ownership is willing to pay it more power to him yeah he obviously had a bad series against oh yes he did but you know he's a better defender than a lot of these shooter types he's not quite the shooter that Duncan Robinson is few are but you know if you compare what he got to what Davis Burton's got you know he is a much much better player at a more valuable position and you know he's still even if he misses shots in a series like he's still going to get guarded most of the time so I mean he is clearly someone who's always going to be in their closing lineup and for a team like this you know that's just what you pay I think and I, I thought Joe Harris was actually worth that money last season during the regular season he actually played the whole year really helped keep them afloat with all the injuries to uh, end up getting the two seed in the end so I, I think that was a, a totally fine deal frankly now it, you know number 19 pick was Sadiq Bay and Shamit eventually didn't work well in their switching system it wasn't entirely clear that that's how they were going to play but once they got Harden in there then it was obvious and Harden was well on the horizon I would say uh and then and yeah it's also interesting that with Shamit like the season didn't work out as well as expected but they the Nets were able to move on from him and get Javon Carter in the 29th pick in the 21 draft so the disip like the the degradation of the of the asset actually didn't happen that much because you know night basically 19 yeah. for that and they also offloaded Zan Musa in the I think that was in the Pistons part it was a three-way deal but it was kind of two two-way deals negotiated separately that were merged so i i held it an a minus i thought that it you could make an argument that it's an a part of the reason why is, is for harris i wonder how that contract is going to age the salary cap is going to rise but i don't think his play will so that is that is a challenge maybe you can and, and the nets don't really as things turned out they don't have much in the way of future assets to like convert joe harris into somebody better you know like do the harris plus something plus pick for better player at same contract i they can maybe do that in like two years but that's kind of a long time the other thing that we didn't know at the time that we gave them this grade was they didn't extend jared allen 
he ended up being in the Harden trade where they gave up a lot of stuff in that trade but uh that's not part of the Harden trade itself is not part of this but not extending him was the right move particularly considering what his salary demands clearly were and of course what he ended up getting from the Cavaliers as well there's no way that they could have fit his 20 million dollars into this and if they had given him an extension then he wouldn't be able to be traded during the season and that might have meant that the Harden trade wouldn't have happened so I I would probably stick with an A minus. That's what I gave them last year, and I, I think I would stick with that. We move to a team where I am not remotely sticking with my grade, and that is the Charlotte Hornets. And they, it happens sometimes where a team doesn't make that many moves, but the moves they make are, are some of them are very important. Um, we already talked about one of them, which was the addition of Gordon Hayward. But they also, in order to the Hornets, in order to sign Hayward to the contract they negotiated, they had to waive and stretch the final year of Nikola Batum contract so in many ways it's like Hayward is making an extra six million a year because that was the or sorry nine million a year Batum it's nine million a year is the stretched amount that's that was last season the coming season and the one after that um but then they also had four draft picks they took Lamella Ball third Vernon Carey 32nd Nick Richards 42nd and Grant Riller 52nd yeah Riller actually is having some moments in summer league Carey and Richards you know centers Carey at 32 was a, a little bit weird um but let's talk about Hayward. So I gave him a D initially. I'm only moving them up to a C. And part of that is that, you know, he's really making $40 million a year, not 30 But was the Hayward acquisition good? Could we say well, so that at this point? So I, I moved them up to a B, though most of that is not, the the movement is, is not Hayward. And it's what the what is the movement? That, well, it's a little ball being amazing. Oh, okay. But say, all right, I guess, I guess what I wrote in my initial notes here, and I said this, is just that, like, there was never a question that they weren't taking him. Like, I... I, I don't give them yeah, credit that, for that taking sort, it's there. sort of it, it's the analogous version to what I like the year that I didn't give the Pelicans a high grade for drafting Anthony Davis because like no shit um there yeah. is there is an element of that to be sure yeah I mean that's but, like the Pels know, like, taking but, Zion but, but number guy, one too right there, it's just when a guy falls to three it's a little bit different th- there was um, no other realistic option there maybe not like there was um, a zero percent chance they were taking anyone else like it was it was known that those three guys were the top three for basically the entire time. I, I feel a 10-second violation coming on, Nate. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I think that's... And the other part of it, for the Hayward perspective, is this this was, was supposed to be the best year, and I think there's a possibility that it was. I hope it wasn't. I hope that he's super awesome for the remaining years. But the injury risks, which came to bear in the last month of the season, those are just going to be looming over, over the Hornets for each of these years that they're relying on him, and Hayward is good enough that you want to rely on him. And it was a lot of flexibility to tie up. Like, you think about, like, it, one of the other kind of paths not traveled, we talked about this with Hayward's former team, is... Batum would not have been the same player for the Hornets that he as he was for the the Clippers, and Hayward made the made the Hornets better. But in an alternate world, they're having not Hayward for thirty million and no Batum money at all. They're a real player in the twenty twenty one offseason. I don't know what that would have provided for them. I don't know, you know, like they obviously could have gotten in the mix for Jared Allen if they really liked him. Lonzo Ball, yeah, Lonzo Ball. Like I, if that is if that is the aim, I think I'm going to move them down to a B minus, and you can make an argument. 
and I should do it even further than that. Because I I think in terms of like the 21-22 season, odds are they probably weren't going to do better than than him, especially because I don't think the point guards would have been super interested. Like Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, I think Spencer Dinwiddie will, my instinct is he will be a better player in 21-22 than Gordon Hayward will be. And then the rest of that contract, he's younger. And he has an injury history too, but I think I would trust Dinwiddie to be healthier moment to moment more than Hayward. And so those are things. Granted, they could have gotten close to Dinwiddie money anyway, but like they could have maybe done. They could Lonzo, as you mentioned. Like there are a lot of different things they could have done. And also, like so the and I'm guessing this is part of your logic too is that unlike some other teams where it's like okay you have these big things that worked out better than expected, like the fringy moves for the Hornets weren't great either. Like burning carry at 32, I'm still not seeing it. Nick Richards at 42, like those are picks where you can get. You're not probably going to get like start. You're not expecting starter value, but you're expecting guys who like at least one of them could potentially show that he can play for you soon and i haven't really seen much of that from either of those guys yeah or they could have if they didn't have nine million in stretch from batum maybe Devonte graham is just still on this team instead he'd be sure. a valuable third guard they could have used his restricted rights maybe they would have been more into extending him but here's the other thing too like all right hayward was pretty good and you know maybe if he stays healthy they would have made the playoffs you know they were ahead of some of these other teams maybe they could have had home court in the play-in uh, you know i don't know that they would have gotten up to the level of the celtics eventually but you know maybe they would have been the eighth seed and they, they could have gotten to, to be the eighth seed you know they ended up with the 11th pick to get james book Knight this year but you know hayward didn't finish this season i mean he what's the last season that he finished healthy right like i think like 17 or like 18 19 he was i guess but he wasn't playing that well that year and then 20 he sprains the ankle this year he sprains the foot he's got all sorts of lower body injuries he's getting older so you know maybe you could say if he had stayed healthy all year it would have been worth it but then also you know they would have been in a completely different position in the draft as well maybe they would you know they could have been in position to draft you know like a, a jonathan kaminga or scotty barnes who actually probably would have been a pretty decent fit with with this group or you know or gotten up into the top four or hell jalen suggs yeah uh, or you know there's there are plenty of guys who like taking this leap forward they were a great story and yeah they got Lamelo. he was unbelievable and you know they they seem like they're kind of on the right track but you know, are they really on the right track? Like they got Lamelo, that's great, and they got some good young players. But unless Lamelo just completely blows up, you know, I don't see them with this group where they're now kind of too good. You know, although we'll see what happens next year. But you know, or they could have easily gotten you know into Toronto's situation as well. And so just like taking that fork in the road to like try to get way better last year, you know, they didn't make the playoffs ultimately in the end. Like yeah, they were a great story. Lamelo was really good, but Lamelo would have been really good. They would have been a franchise on the way up anyway way but they could have had another great draft pick so i just and also again like the hayward health thing is the other thing and that stretched money for batum is another thing and so the opportunity cost of that and yeah you know maybe they couldn't have gotten some great player this year but then maybe next year they could be right next year they're looking at probably you know not necessarily being a huge cap space player depending on what happens with miles bridges uh, restricted free agency or extension and if they want to bring back Ubre and they want to bring back Plumley, then they're basically you know kind of mid-level exception for next year as well so i think like kind of going more the way that the hawks did it and then you know after like maybe Lamelo's second year that's when you can really get into free agency and get the you know maybe they sign evan fournier to be their bogdan bogdanovich you know that that type of thing uh this offseason or, or i guess it would be next offseason so i don't know that, that's just like i think we're a little caught you've up got, in, you've yeah. gotten me all the way down to a c minus <laughs> yes <sighs>
Yeah. So it, like it did, it did work out, but it also kind of. I mean, we'll see. Like if Jordan Hayward is totally healthy it next year be, and they like, make the playoffs, I, then you know th- this is just a really hard regrade to do, even a year later at this point. I, I talked about the Jazz offseason as a sugar rush. I think there's a sound rationale that yeah. that's what the Hornets one was too. And they didn't. The rush wasn't nearly as strong as it was for the Jazz, who were the best regular season team in the league. Um, let's move. Well, to the well Bulls. Quick, quickly, last point here, just to finish up on them. I know we've talked about them a while, but uh, there were reasons that we gave them a bad grade for the Hayward contract, and I think the overall team winning six or seven games more than expected last year and Lamelo being really good who guess what they would have had him anyway and miles bridges being really good guess what they would have had him anyway and pj washington uh, being a nice small ball five they would have had him anyway yeah i just don't know that winning six or seven games more than we thought they would at this time last year changes the grade that much all right yeah now we can move on the chicago bulls their primary moves in the 2020 offseason were in the offseason itself were actually off the court. And that was, oh God, I'm going to mispronounce his name again. Uh, Arturus um, Karnishevis. Karnishevis. I, I, I had it right in my head for like six months and then I lost it again. So firing Garpax or demoting, you know, minimizing, whatever. Gr- uh, and gr- putting, uh, demoting Pax and firing four. Yes. Or, or sorry, Gar. Gar. And um, so, and bringing Karnishevis to take over and then Karnishevis firing Jim Boylan and hiring Billy Donovan. The only other big moves that he did in the offseason, Arturus saved his big stuff for in-season was drafting Patrick Williams fourth and then Marco Seminovich um, 44th. He's coming over this year. They signed Garrett Temple and they gave Denzel Valentine his qualifying offer, which he immediately signed, which is fantastic. Uh-huh. Um, good sign. A, a good sign that that was a mistake that the player immediately signs his qualifying offer. And then they lost Chris Dunn and Shaq Harrison, both of whom signed elsewhere. And so for me, I gave them a C- minus at the time, and a lot of it was kind of like, well, it's going to depend on how this front office works. And that C- minus has moved to a D plus, and I thought about going further than that because Karnishevis has, to me, been a failure as their general manager so far. Yeah, that's really where it is, right? I mean, this is, while the Vucevic trade and the DeRozan signing aren't part of this offseason, bringing in the guy who is part of that offseason or, or who made those who trades made those is decisions. part of it so and we didn't like that so i am a c minus at the time you know really patrick williams is the only guy that matters and it's it's almost really too early even to grade patrick williams with the youngest players in the draft wasn't someone that i thought was star potential you know i think it, this is the range where we started wanting them to bring in Halliburton and in retrospect that that would have changed things a ton right they don't sign lonzo ball at, at that point uh you know, maybe even the DeRozan thing would have made a little bit more sense. Maybe the Vucevic thing doesn't happen if you have someone looking as good as Halliburton on the perimeter. You know, who knows whether that would have changed things. But I don't think, when you look at some of the guys who came after, you know, Patrick Williams was definitely better than Isaac Okoro, I would say, at this point in time. Okongwu, you know, they had Wendell Carter still at that point. Killian Hayes, Obi Toppin. Like, I would say, actually, Denny Avdia. Other than Halliburton, if I were doing a redraft right now, I probably would have had uh, Patrick Williams, you know, as the second best player reasonably available in that range. And remember, he was even being talked more about with the Pistons at seven. And that was kind of a surprise pick. I think that was probably a good pick. Also, though, if that really, they showed their scouting acumen by drafting him, really a shame that they won't be doing much drafting 
in the future because of this GM that they hired. So uh, I don't think we need to talk much more about this. We talked ad nauseum about both the food trade well, so, and the DeRozan so what did, thing. So what did you give them? I moved them down from a C- minus to a D. Yeah, I moved them to a D plus, mostly because I'm I'm still on board with um the Williams yeah. with the Williams pick. Well, and it and, seems and like mostly- part of their this whole thing, like Billy Donovan, where you know I'm sure they promised him that they're going to take some big step forward and they're paying him a bunch of money, and then they had to like follow through on that by making these win now moves. Yeah, that is a that is a very real concern. We can move to another Central Division team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, another team that didn't make a whole lot of moves during the 2020 offseason. Kobe Altman drafted Isaac Okoro fifth. He signed Damian Dotson, acquired JaVale McGee, plus a Lakers 2026 second. Uh, they dumped McKinney, Alfonso McKinney and Jordan Bell in that deal. They retained Matthew Del Vadova, and they lost Tristan Thompson. So at the time, I gave the Cavs a B. I thought that it was a good thing for them that they were not aggressive in the 2020 free agent market because it didn't seem like there was going to be good players that were particularly interested. They didn't have a lot of flexibility moving forward because of the guys that they had to pay. And I would say generally, it's interesting, like that that thesis, how that thesis holds, because they ended up basically using that spending power to pay Jared Allen, who I think is better than than a lot of what they were going to do. But I do feel worse about the Okoro pick now than I did, even though he's shown a few flashes defensively. Yeah, I guess if you're going to go back to it and you say, hey, they had Garland and they had Sexton, they shouldn't have taken Halliburton. I'm sure that Halliburton was very uninterested in going there with those two guards. I would maybe Anyeka Kangu would have been the right pick there in retrospect. I think Okoro can still work out. Uh, um, he's Okoro's a reasonable pick. I yeah. just feel worse about it now than I did. Yeah, I gave him a B minus initially. I think I'll just stick with that B minus. You know, I, it, and d- don't worry. There's plenty of other Cavs things that we've been able to give negative grades to uh, over the years, and this off season might be up there for us uh, as well in the end. But yeah. Well, and I did like. Um, I, so I ended up with a C minus. I ended up because it's like you know it's basically just an even off season. I, I did like that they got picks going in and coming out for Javale McGee. They eventually got one from the Nuggets on that side of it. And the other question I had, and we don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, is was the 2020 off season too early to move on from Larry Nance Jr.? We both think that they should have done it by now, but was would that have been too early? Yeah, because he started. He played really, really well at the start of the next season, and yeah. that. I, I think his the trade deadline although this offseason too I think he in theory would, would have some value let's move to the Pistons now I moved them up significantly uh, I mean they were getting all sorts of comedy for the Deadman thing and the stretch and that still looks terrible right they uh, traded for Dwayne Deadman basically because he had a non-guaranteed left year left on his contract ended up stretching him essentially so they could sign Mason Plumlee they could have signed Jeremy Grant anyway uh, to the contract that he got uh, they signed Plumlee now Plumlee actually played better than expected but not well enough that they didn't have to move down from 37 to 57 in the draft to dump him this year and then signed Kelly Olenek who's another you know th- that seems like kind of deck chairs though he's a, a different type of player than than Plumlee um but the Grant thing was people didn't get that at all, but he looked a lot better. Maybe that's overstated a little bit. He really fell off towards the end of the year. It was He wanted to do a lot, maybe ended up doing a little bit too much. You know, He kind of really dropped down to league average, maybe a little bit below in terms of his efficiency. 
by the end. Um, what else did they do? Well, we should we could talk a little bit more about Jeremy Grant. I mean, Grant chose them over the Nuggets three years, sixty million. I was very low on that. I thought it was you know like why are you giving him the keys? And he did better. I mean, not as well as the early start of the year when he was setting the world on fire, but I thought I thought that he you know ended up with a solid season overall. They dumped functionally. They dumped you know the way the Christian Wood thing ended up happening is that they let him go, but then got Trevor Reza back in that as a sign-in trade and got the 16th pick there, which is how they drafted Isaiah Stewart. They um, they also included this weird lottery-protected first that will maybe convey at some point eventually. Well, well don't forget um, they also gave up uh, a future protected pick that goes out like as far as possible in that yes in that deal for uh 16 as well they also got involved in that complicated trade with the nets and the clippers where they sent luke Kennard and bruce brown to different locations and four second round picks but they got back the number 19 pick which troy weaver used on sadiq bay they also um got the i believe they got 38 for taking on tony bradley um who they then dumped for Zaire Smith so they could stretch him because yeah. Troy Weaver loves stretching. 38 was Saban Lee, right? Saban Lee, yes. Yeah, and, and he, and he so, looks pretty good for for that spot. Yeah, and they retained Svi Mikhailiuk, um, who they eventually traded for Hamdou Diallo. And um, and then the other big thing, just to make sure that we have a put a bow on it, is that they hired Troy Weaver. And so the regrade here is including all of that stuff. And this is one of the bigger adjustments I've made. I moved this from an F to an A-. minus. Yeah, part of why we gave them an offer, at least I did, was because they brought in Weaver and Weaver looked like he didn't know what he was doing. And, you know, I still think there were some errors there, like letting Christian Wood go when they, they could have just paid him it was one thing uh, that just didn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, now, worth noting that being bad last year got them Kate Cunningham. Yeah, you know, so but they didn't. They didn't. Well, we've argued about this. Well, a well I mean, their party line. You know, like James Edwards has reported on this that they did not expect to be good last year. That they weren't really trying yeah. to. And but I mean, the Mason Plumlee contract is just so it's so ludicrous. If that was their yeah, I mean, in role. retrospect, that was the one thing that was pretty indefensible. But everything else, I think, worked out reasonably well. Like Stewart at sixteen yeah. was a good pick. Like, like the well, picks being Kill, yeah. Killian, Killian Hayes will have. To yeah, play. that's right. I shouldn't say everything because yeah, Hayes Hayes does not look good at least in the summer league games that I've seen you know we, we haven't done all of our film work on that yet but uh he was does not look like a good fit with uh Cade Cunningham um yeah I mean we, we said this and also keep in mind that that stretch is still on the books too from Deadman. uh so you know they essentially were playing paying Plumley the amount that Deadman would have had but Deadman only had one year like Deadman probably actually would have been better for them last year than Plumley, honestly or, or at least as good I think he would have been better defensively like Deadman actually played well for the heat and you wouldn't have had to dump you wouldn't have had to yeah. dump his contract in the way that they did for Plumley. but I think the big the biggest reason why this moved up for me beyond thinking better of Troy Weaver and I mean this is all tied in is that I mean Isaiah Stewart at 16 is looking good Sadiq Bay at 19 is looking great Saban Lee I like at 38 you know I thought I think he can be a be a bench guard for them and that's really good you know to be able to to get that kind of value through the draft and yeah I still don't love the way that they gave up on Bruce Brown those four seconds especially with the idea that you might end up being bad like and maybe that you expect to be like those seconds are actually pretty damn valuable and to have I mean those are strewn throughout the league now but um they were originally with the Clippers um I think now they're yeah two of them are with the Knicks and then one of them is with the Magic because those yeah. pay, the Clippers just did a bunch of stuff yeah and let's see on Sadiq Bay too like it's possible 
that he might be like a little bit overrated right now. Yeah, I think that's possible. Um, we'll see what his ceiling ends up being. I'm not saying it's not a good pick right now. It obviously is, but um, uh, also Danny, though we're gonna have to move them down to an F again because uh, they signed Davidas Servidas to a two-year guaranteed contract. <laughs> I think that might have predated Weaver. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they took him 37th the year before, I think. Um, but nonetheless, that's what they actually signed him, so it's part of that uh, offseason. Um, but yeah, so I, I back it up B-, and let's move on now to the Indiana Pacers. This one won't take very long. No, another team that did extremely little. They didn't have their first-round pick, so... Kevin Pritchard took Cassius Stanley at 54. That was their only selection. They re-signed Justin Holiday, totally reasonable contract. So that puts a lot of pressure on his choice for head coach, and it did not work out well. No, although one thing that makes it not quite as bad is they only gave him two guaranteed years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if that's all it takes to get a, to get an almost mutiny, then, yeah. I mean, well, okay. Well, but hey, maybe if you'd been willing to give out more than two guaranteed years, you... Uh, might have got a better coach to begin with, but now. But they yeah. got Rick Carlisle right. now, so I mean, yeah. I, I didn't give them credit for that. But yeah, this is an F plus for me. The reason it's not a straight F is I like the Justin Holiday contract just fine. But holy shit, did Bjorkman not work out? Mostly on a personal level, I thought some of the scheme stuff he did went very well. Yeah, um, you know, I gave him a C plus initially. I moved him down to a D plus. You know, bringing back Holiday was fine. They didn't do anything to fuck it up personnel wise. And I mean, I, though they moved on from Bjorkman, if they'd been healthy. A, maybe Bjorkren would have survived a lot longer than he did. Um, and B, they would have, you know, made the playoffs and, and maybe looked fine if the, if everyone had been healthy. Uh, they did dump TJ Leaf to stay under the tax. That's, you know, kind of a, they gave up assets to do that. But they, essentially it was Holiday or Leaf. They decided to bring in Justin Holiday. So I only went down to a D plus uh, because I don't think, while it was kind of dumb it was only one year they were so injured anyway it didn't really matter so and now they have rick carlo so i don't think in the end it really hurt them that much even if obviously bringing in a guy who you know they clearly didn't do enough background or the right background uh, on bjorkren in the end the miami heat had an interesting offseason it looked like primarily they were keeping the powder dry for mr Giannis antetokounmpo more on him later yeah or um, all the other so guys they, who were available in 2021 free agency in theory at the time in theory at the time yeah, drew holiday so, all these guys yeah all these guys so part of what miami did was sign a lot of guys to two minus one so two-year contracts with team options for the second year which they had already done with andre Gudala. that was not in the offseason grade they did that with goran dragic they did that with myers leonard which i hated they uh, um and then and they drafted Precious Achua. Oh, they also did that with Avery Bradley, who eventually got traded. Um, they drafted Precious Achua at 20th. They gave Bam the big extension eventually, which was an interesting kind of marker because he shares an agent with Giannis. And importantly, they lost both Jay Crowder and Derek Jones Jr. And at the time, I gave the Heat a B. And part of it, I, I, I feel, I am saying, saying this, reading my own words is making me feel a little physically ill. But I wrote, swapping Jerry Crowder and Derek Jones Jr. for Avery Bradley and, Marie and Mo Harkless may be close to neutral in terms of player value, but it makes the Heat less versatile defensively and a little shakier offensively. No, it was not equal value from a player <laughs> perspective. Even though I got the defensive versatility part of it, I thought they really missed Jay Crowder. No, they did. And the reason that they don't have him on the team right now is because they were trying to keep space open for Giannis or somebody else. And they did get Kyle Lowry in the end, but they also got Kyle Lowry in a sign and trade, which they could have done anyway um, with the, some of these team options that they had, which ended up being a smart move, having that on Dragic, and they were able to opt him in. They knew they had a feeling that they whoever they got, they were going to be able to 
potentially know in time to opt the guy in um yeah i mean the bradley and harkless basically were total zeros for them um they did get bam on a full five-year deal no player option which was big uh that was part of what they and the rose rule content or uh restrictions were pretty stringent uh you know he had to make it pretty high up in all nba as it turned out he didn't make anything so you know he's just at the straight 25 percent. so that ended up being fine uh I went down to a D though uh, from a B ultimately just because the decision to hold open 2021 cap space ended up not really working. Yeah, I went down to a D plus on pretty similar logic and the also the Myers Leonard part of this was was a disaster at the time and it was and it became even worse partially because of off court stuff but also he wasn't good on the court. And the what the saving like the the part that makes it a little bit I I, I like the precious pick. I think that you know having him at 20 was was totally reasonable and there were some good players on the board there are some guys that have worked out worked out well for their respective teams but I, I like Ashua I think he could be could be a successful player um and Derek Jones Jr you know him not having it's it, I, I think the Heat missed him but also he he didn't have the most success outside of Miami so it wasn't like they you know they gave up on a player who then thrived or something like that now we move to the one that I had the most the most trouble with and that's the Milwaukee Bucks the reigning NBA champions they traded Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, two first-round picks and two pick swaps for Drew Holiday and the number 60 pick where they took Sam Merrill. They also hard-capped themselves by signing DJ Augustine and Bobby Portis and to a lesser extent in Forbes. They gave Tory Craig a minimum. They also drafted Jordan Wara. They retained Pat Connaughton on a contract that was originally invalid, so they had to give him a different contract, which was more lucrative. So at the time, partially due to the failed Bogdan Bogdanovich sign-in trade, which I still believe would have would have really helped them, I gave them an F plus, and I'm sure there will be people who are aggrieved that I raised it only up to a B minus, considering they won the championship. But what I will throw out there is the kind of the context for us talking about this is the Milwaukee Bucks were down two nothing in the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs when Kyrie Irving got hurt. Uh, no, no, How that's not, that's not true. Actually, to be fair, that happened in Game Four. A game game four that they didn't look great in. Like, I think that series might have gotten to 2-2. But given how close it was in the end, Kyrie, if Kyrie were healthy, I think the Nets win that series. Yeah, and they they would have lost. They would have lost the series. Yeah. Like, I feel feel pretty pretty strongly they would have lost the series. And remember, James Harden got hurt during that series. Yeah. Like, he got hurt very, very early on. And so there's this idea, basically, like, you you and I, I was actually talking about this with a couple people. I was talking about with Tim Cato, actually, um, a couple days ago. Somebody, I was talking about the challenges of our job. I was like, you have to appreciate the results that happen, but it's also the process based on the results that didn't happen that reasonably could have. And if the Bucks got knocked out in the second round, which would have happened absent some very favorable injury luck, how would we be feeling about this? And I mean, they got Giannis to agree to the extension, and that's uh, that's a big part of this. And maybe it required Drew Holiday to make that happen. Maybe it required some of these other things. But a lot of the kind of own goals here are still own goals, even if they ended up winning the game. Well, let's go through some of those, the the own goals, right? I mean, obviously, there was the Bogdanovich thing, which ended up losing them a second round pick that probably isn't going to matter that much yeah and basically the understanding is that the what what failed there was a lack of understanding of how the hard cap that basically they couldn't give bogdanovich the money that he well, expected we, we to think get. that's what happened we think it's a reasonable it, i mean well and it was then, one of two things either they didn't understand how the hard cap worked and couldn't give him the deal that he thought he was getting or they jumped the gun to let it get out and it got reported and that ended up scuttling it right or, sure. or maybe maybe it came out from because 
contract terms were even reported, right? So yeah. now maybe it came out from the Kings side of things. The Kings knew what the, the contract was going to be. Maybe that's where it came out. But whatever. I mean, you can't let that happen. At, at, this is before the draft, too. This isn't like we're not talking like the Kyle Lowry thing where, you know, it came out one day before. Right. And so that's one part of it. Then. Well, well so, so gets- let, let me go for, for another thing here that I'd forgotten, actually, before I went back and looked at this, which was. The, they agree to the holiday trade, and then they also have the Bogdanovich trade. And remember that Ilyasova, they had this non-guarantee for him. He would have had to get guaranteed in that deal. They ended up fucking him, actually, because the, that deal didn't go through. He ended up getting non-guaranteed. He lost like $6 million. Bucks. Uh, that, was, that was ancillary. But had the Bogdanovich thing not happened, they could have kept George Hill and made New Orleans take Ilyasova instead. New Orleans didn't even really apparently want George Hill because he ended up being in this trade to go to uh, OKC for uh, Stephen Adams. And, you know, it ended up being this complex 14 transaction. But as much as they gave up to New Orleans, I think they could have gotten New Orleans to take Ilyasova rather than George Hill. So they could have kept, kept George Hill. Then they wouldn't have needed to sign uh, DJ Augustin. They wouldn't have been hard capped uh, then at that point either. You know, they could have just used the tax mid level on Bobby Portis. So they wouldn't have been hard capped. Then they wouldn't have had to have both the 45th and 60th picks on their roster as just completely dead roster spots. And then also Giannis's brother as another dead roster spot. They would have just had way more depth as well. They could have maybe made some other minimum signings that, you know, they wouldn't have been dancing around the hard cap. Uh, all year they ended up actually getting under the tax in the end with the tucker trade so they end up recovering quote-unquote with augustine who was a terrible signing uh never made any sense they did kind of just use the salary slot they also then brought in portis but then that hard capped them again as well they could have just signed augustine with the taxpayer mle and given him a little bit more which is originally what we thought it happened given him a little bit more guaranteed money in year three um so there were just all these things process-wise that they screwed up. And yeah, you know what? They made the holiday trade. They threw in everything that they possibly could, basically, in the holiday trade. They did get off of Bledsoe, which was important. You know, they, he became negative salary. The Pels had, had to deal with that. So just the holiday trade was great. And, you know, getting Bobby Portis, that he ended up being better. But also worth noting, again, as you did against uh, with the Nets, uh, Bobby Portis actually couldn't play against their biggest rival and he was out of the rotation even without, you know, uh, Kyrie available. So it, he ended up being able to play against some of these other teams. But, uh, you know, the Atlanta Hawks weren't the team that they should have had in the crosshairs at the start of the season when they're making these signings. So there are a lot of screw-ups. The holiday trade was great in the end, but that's really the only thing they did last offseason that helped them win the championship. Everything else was bad, and there are yeah. aspects of the holiday trade that was bad. So sorry sorry yeah, if I went on there we for too long. But One of the other things we liked was Torrey Craig, and then he never really got into Budenholzer rotation, and they dumped him. Um, and the other part with, with Augustine, this is, again, another challenge of, of our style of valuation, is if they don't sign DJ Augustine, maybe they don't have the salary to make the pj tucker trade happen but i think if he was at the mid-level it probably would have and it's it was also anomalous that pj tucker was available for that but here's the bigger problem there we're doing an off-season grade they had that big a flaw that they took it, it took an extremely fortunate in-season trade that was not projectable there was not a buyout guy on the market to make the lineup that actually made this team make sense now if Deontay, dante DiVincenzo doesn't get hurt maybe you have an alternate version of it but it wouldn't have been nearly as potent defensively well 
And here's the other thing too, Danny. Didn't the Rockets only get the Bucks pick that enabled them to do that deal from yeah that's right they got it in the Harden trade involving Cleveland which hadn't occurred so that to be like oh yeah they were all set up for the Tucker trade no they got lucky as fuck that Cleveland somehow ended up sending the Bucks own pick to Houston which then they were able to then swap out now I guess they could have done that for some other pick uh, as well but to it like that deal was so creative in part because Houston had the Bucks own pick that was also like a really bad pick that they were willing to give up so uh yeah that it was uh so so what did you what did you move their grade to i guess a b minus is fair i mean I, as we said they did win the championship and they got Giannis to agree to the extension right yeah i mean that's that's even maybe a bigger thing from a process standpoint that if they were like hey we wh- what we did was to we did enough to get Giannis to agree to the extension by doing the holiday thing it's just they they still they didn't have to do the holiday thing the way they did it they could have retained George Hill it would have been key for them they had they had so little depth on this team and like you know Middleton and Holiday are playing 45 minutes a game in the playoffs like you know it didn't have to be that way necessarily um and just you know there are a lot of just own goals here um Okay, I guess should we move on to the Knicks here? We should. Another team that their grade shifted dramatically. Um, the Knicks swapped out their GM and their coach. Leon Rose took over and Tibbs took over. They also drafted Obi Top at eight and they did a series of, of draft arbitrage moves to end up with the 25th pick where they took Emmanuel quickly. They also retained Alfred Payton and eventually Taj Gibson. And then they added Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, Austin Rivers, Jacob Evans, Omari Spellman, and a Minnesota, second, 20, uh, Minnesota 2026 second. That was in the arbitrage stuff. Um, and at the time, I gave the Knicks a D+. I wonder. I wondered about you know this was a TBD on Leon Rose. I thought some of the like kind of the short term thinking there. Did, did we include else. Rose in it since he came in in like March of 2020? I I think I think I partially included it. I mean because it was this was his first real chance to get. It. I think I did. And then well, he, the the Tibbs move obviously is a part of it. And so another part of why I gave them a low grade was Obi Toppin. We hadn't scouted Emmanuel quickly, and I'm moving them all the way from a D plus to an A minus. That's too high for me. I went with a with a B. Um, Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel were certainly good. Part of why I gave them a D initially was I didn't really care for the Tibbs selection as head coach. And while I still maintain a number of concerns about him in the playoffs, which were very much on display, like he got this team back into being relevant, got them to defend way better than I ever thought that he could. And so that was huge, obviously. Burks and Noel were really good. They brought those guys back as well. Quickly was a great pick at 25. The arbitrage that you mentioned of turning 27 and 38 into 25 and 33 at one point was great this was a should have been Halliburton team for sure um they would have looked so good with him right now it would have been a really nice fit next to RJ Barrett they didn't really offensively do much to build around RJ Barrett and Julius Randle but those guys you know Julius Randle was just so good anyway he was able to overcome that I mean we didn't even think they were building around Julius Randle we thought that Obi Toppin was replacing him and Toppin you know again he's 23 already he's shown some flashes we've never really seen him play try to play center better than expected defensively but still someone who i think is going to struggle to kind of have a position there uh due to his lack of of lateral movement even if he does play really hard i mean he shoots it he can he's shown a little bit more off the bounce at times maybe than you would have thought so you know i I don't know if that's a terrible pick but with hal burton on the board did not really care for it even someone like avdia i think i I probably would have preferred those are probably the ones in that range uh, to me was there anyone else in that range that you feel like they should have grabbed 
I think that I think you covered it pretty thoroughly. And so yeah, the top. Oh oh, Vassell. Is, is, Vassell was the other one that I probably would. Oh yeah, really I had I hadn't scouted him, but yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. Now. Um, um, you know, I think like realistically, again, you know, if you're going to go down to like Aaron Neesmith or something or Isaiah Stewart, like those guys weren't being talked about in that range. So I, I try to limit these to guys who are realistically being discussed around them and Halliburton, Vassell, and even Avdi, I think I would have preferred over Toppin just with what this team needs. And I think all those guys that have brighter futures than Toppin, but we'll see, you know, jury's still out on him, but maybe less so than for a 19 year old. Well, and I like the Knicks maintaining flexibility. It ended up being that they used a lot of that flexibility to bring back players, but they also added Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker so that they're going, you know, retaining that. And I don't know who they would have gotten you know the the path not taken for them like signing gordon hayward or something like that i don't think would have would have been as as successful for them so and tibbs won coach of the year we, we've talked about the things it, it's interesting that i could see tibbs being i mean the knicks aren't in the same place but being kind of like mark jackson where he's good for this phase but it might actually push it make it more necessary that they find a, a superior coach but also less likely that it actually happens because they've done well so it's like well why would you why would you fire a coach when you're doing well but we'll have to kind of see on that and i'm not going to downgrade them for a coach doing so well that you might need their replacement sooner rather than later that's a a different sort of a thing yeah so i ended up with a b for the knicks largely on the space of maintaining flexibility the quickly pick burks and noel being pretty good that to me overcomes maybe that uh Toppin might not have been the best pick as well um when we did the Orlando Magic offseason grade they had basically done nothing really in in certain ways in the offseason they drafted Cole Anthony 15th they signed Steve Clifford favorite Dwayne Bacon they had retained um MCW and James Ennis but they later in the offseason extended Jonathan Isaac four years 70 million there's some protections in there and Markel Fultz two years 33 million and then there's a partial guarantee on the third year um I went with the fully guaranteed seasons so at the time I gave them a C plus they really hadn't done a lot they didn't have a ton of wiggle room under the cap I moved that up to a B um, and the reason why I did was not because Cole Anthony broke out I thought he was was fine I thought there are other players around around Cole Anthony did better including Isaiah Stewart Steve Bay we'll see where Cole Anthony moves moving forward instead the reason why I moved up their grade was because I had criticized Jeff Weltman for holding on to Vooch and Aaron Gordon in particular, to, and, and I guess Evan Fournier as well, because he was on an expiring contract, and I thought that they basically that they um, missed the timing on trading those guys, that the Magic weren't good enough, and two things happened. One, they got that value. They got more for Vooch from the Bulls than I would have expected, so that part of it worked out, and the Gordon trade was, again, totally reasonable. They, got, they, they did that, and also, they simultaneously, due to factors partially outside of their kind of control due to injuries were also bad enough that they were able to not suffer that consequence of being like basically because the one part of holding on to your guys is that you don't get the trades for them the other part is that you're too good to get the draft pick well they were still bad enough that they were able to keep that they were able to get the fifth pick and get Jalen Suggs they had the third worst record in the league yeah it's interesting I gave him a B initially in part because I liked the Anthony pick I think he's uh, particularly given the way he's played in summer league and you know he it's possible that having Jalen Suggs drafted it over the top of him it has messed him up mentally but it's been a lot of long twos from him in summer league so far I was hoping that we might see a little bit more from him at this point so I'm downgrading them based on where I was on that pick which I liked at the time uh, from a B to a C I mean they didn't really do much other than that you know the Fultz and Isaac expansions the Fultz one I thought it was terrible then we found out the last year was non-guaranteed maybe it looks a little bit better but then he also 
you know he's pretty injury prone and then he tore his uh acl for you know have paying him 17 million a year it just was it was really difficult even before he hurt himself to see how he was going to be worth that um you know the jumper and, and they paid and they're paying john they committed 17 million to jonathan isaac while he was out for the whole year yeah i mean and apparently he really you know is not on like the fastest plan in the world like i think he had like was saying that he had just started running earlier this summer which is not a very advanced healing considering that he hurt himself in august of last year but we'll see where he ends up obviously i mean that's a it's a gamble uh, on uh, guys who are talented. i mean fultz was his jumper is just so fucked that i think there was just no way he was ever going to live up to even he just doesn't have the upside uh, to me to even have given him the contract that they did good on fultz for for getting paid uh, to some extent so just went down to a c i mean it was relatively inconsequential and you're right i mean at least the fact that they didn't make those trades i wasn't too happy with that but as it turned out they were able to make them um let's get to the sixers here yeah and sixers another eastern conference team that replaced both their general manager and their head coach daryl Morey replacing on brand doc rivers replacing brett brown Morey comes in and trades al horford a future first number 34 and misich for danny green and terrence ferguson also trades josh richardson in the 36th pick for seth curry zaire smith for tony brad Sadly, signs Dwight Howard for the minimum, drafts Tyrese Maxey at 21, Isaiah Joe at 49, and B-Ball Paul Reed at 58. And I gave the Sixers an A at the time, and I said they would have gotten close to an A just on their personnel moves, but adding Doc, adding especially Daryl Morey was enough to make it a rock-solid A. It is still a rock-solid A. I went A minus because the lack, uh, not acquiring any kind of a stretch stretch five option, I think really hurt them in the end. Like not being able to play Dwight and Simmons together, that's something that we were talking about as being a big yeah, problem. Yeah, but but I didn't I didn't know that there was a real clear minimum guy like that who was a viable like rotation player. I maybe I I don't have an encyclopedic memory of the 2020 free agent class, but like Dwight Howard was a better center than was available. No, I mean I'm not saying they shouldn't have signed Dwight, but maybe there could have been another option. Maybe they thought that could be Mike Scott, but he obviously uh, you know, he was under contract, but he wasn't that good. I mean, that's just just one small thing. I I think uh you know the danny green for horford if you had to get off of horford that was pretty good the curry trade was a great trade i guess maybe the other thing is just that doc rivers while he was a good regular season coach i don't know that he was actually a better playoff coach than brett brown and i mean he did preside over yet another absolutely pathetic playoff collapse um also i've been saying for a while that they should trade should have traded ben simmons and i guess there was no specific person to trade him for and that's why part of why he's still on the team but obviously his value has gone down from where it was before so i i just it wasn't quite perfect i mean getting daryl morey is great like he's gonna continue that's gonna pay dividends hopefully for them for the next 10 years so that's that's huge but there are just enough flaws here that did manifest themselves in the end and and were part of their demise that i just stuck with the a minus but that's splitting hairs the toronto raptors had they were they weren't at a, a crazy crossroads but they had a number of a number of interesting decisions to make they had fred van vliet marcus ol and serge baka all hitting free agency and they ended up retaining fred van vliet and then letting gasol well letting gasol and baka go they left whether whatever the whatever the reason was yeah well, well they they clearly were unwilling to offer them more than one year it certainly appears such 
And Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka both leave for LA, different teams. Masai drafts Malachi Flynn, 29th, Jalen Harris, 59th, replaces those front court players with Aaron Baines, Alex Len, and then also signs DeAndre Bembry. And the, just a second, the OG extension was also this year, correct? Yes. Yes. So that, and that is, you know, that was to me the best thing. That was the best thing yeah, that the But was that, four years, did. 72 million? Yeah, four years, 72 million, final year player option. Yeah, that that kicks in this year. So so that that was a good move, obviously. Uh, but I mean, they were also doing the holdout for 2021 plan, um, and so and because of that, they had problems at center all year. I wrote here, even in giving them a D, that getting Aaron Baines was a decent recovery, but that turned out to not be the case. He was a total loss. Um, yeah, holding out for Giannis. I mean, I thought that they were even given the idea that Giannis would leave. Which after the holiday trade, you probably should, should have thought, hey, the Bucks were unlikely to have done that if Giannis weren't necessarily going to stick around. Um, they probably had a pretty good inkling he was going to uh, at that point. And then I also think the Raptors were a clear third, even if Giannis had been looking to move on behind Miami and behind Dallas. So I didn't. The whole waiting for Giannis thing didn't make a ton of sense. Um, there, there just wasn't really, other than the OG extension, which was fine. You know, Malachi Flynn. I mean, at, at 29, you're not going to do amazingly well there. But I, you know, I don't think he might be a backup point guard. You know, they, maybe they did okay there in the end. But uh, you know, Van Vliet, they didn't get totally hosed. That was a, a, I think, a solid deal, but but not a a great one for them. So I give him a D initially. I go down to a D minus. I was in the D range, but I'm a I'm a I'm a big believer in the OG extension, which I had kind of forgotten was technically included within yeah, this offseason. So I moved him up to a C. Time, yeah, so no, it hadn't happened yet. Yeah, so, you know, you're right. Maybe I, I, I should just stick with the D. I, I think you're right about that. Yeah. Uh, I'm at a C because I was thinking, you know, if, if OG were a restricted free agent this summer, I think he would have gotten a much more lucrative deal. He would have deserved it. Um, yeah. and so, so that, that's a, that's a nice, and Fred Van Vliet, I think his contract right now, yeah. you know, roughly 20 million a year moving forward. I think that's neutral value or slightly positive value. So then if they want to change directions, they can do that. And they had a season from hell, but I don't think the reason they had a season from hell primarily was because of the moves they made in the off season. Yeah. Part of it was the Tampa part of it. And I mean, the center debacle didn't help, but all that. So, well, well so, so yeah. I mean, I guess part of why I'm sticking with the D is just that there wasn't really any kind of a coherent plan that worked out at all. Sure. Um, and, and I just didn't think that the Giannis thing was a great idea. And, you know, maybe, you know, going more money than the Lakers did on Marc Gasol or, you know, I think Ibaka, probably, maybe he would have just wanted to go to L.A. to play with Kawhi anyway, and there's nothing they could have done. Um, but they did just kind of like wait wait him out and let him go you know they they didn't have they certainly kind of waited on those guys but and they made their oh, decision but they things? could have made them make a decision faster with a better offer and then maybe gotten another center instead yeah they could they that, that could have happened um also i think the chris boucher contract was reasonable and yeah, you know they that was did a good a one non-guarantee yeah. yeah and you know reasonable reasonable terms ended up bringing him bringing it, him back again more in just they're kind of they're just like a drift i think your, right your, now, your you know? objection your objection to it is more the process yeah, like, yeah, that I, part of it. I, I guess so. Like they're they're just like they were they were coming off a t, uh, you know a equivalent of like you know a high mid fifties win season, and so they didn't really having won the title the year before. Right. I mean, they didn't really like do everything they could to maintain the status that they had, and they also didn't really set themselves up for the future in any way. They just sort of like treaded water, and they ended up getting some lottery luck. But you know, because of all these injuries and the Tampa shit, yeah, they got up to number four and they got Scotty Barnes out. But you know, that wasn't really something that could have been foreseen with these moves sure. either. Like it was just they were sort of like 
preparing themselves for like a slight decline this year then maybe they're going to get Giannis but that was kind of a pipe dream and so all right anyway let's move on to the Wizards yeah and the Wizards another team where one of their big moves happened after we did our offseason grades um in the early stages they drafted Denny Avdia ninth Cassius Winston 53rd which I think oh no that's right there were two Cassius's Cassius Stanley and Cassius Winston um they signed Robin Lopez, brought over Anthony Gill, signed Holoneto to the minimum, um, and then gave Davis Bertans roughly $16 million a year for four years, though the final year of that, or sorry, $16 million a year for five years. The final year is partially guaranteed. And then they, the biggest move happened after we did our offseason grades, and that was trading John Wall and a protected first-round pick. It's protected to varying degrees from 23 to 26 for one Russell Westbrook. Yeah, and I was on board with that at the time. We, we saw maybe that that was going to be on the horizon. It was rumored it, it ended up happening. I liked that deal. Okay-ish for the Wiz. I, I thought it made sense for both teams uh, at the time. You know, r- Early in the year, it wasn't looking good for the Wiz. There was a time when actually John Wall was playing a little bit better than Russell Westbrook amazing as it is to say well, he, there was a time when he was playing a lot better than russell westbrook but it seems like westbrook was hurt at that time uh so i give him a d plus initially this is one where i didn't understand they're not drafting tyrese halberton and going with optia instead they just it, just adding yet another power forward to them you know maybe they saw him as a small forward the bertans deal five for 80 you know that's even looking even worse and uh although the last year is non-guaranteed but it's based on a playing time incentive robin lopez was a good one though um and then of course they didn't trade bradley beal again which was another one where we felt like they should have done that um right and that's why i'm still holding at a d plus is that they so obvia nine it's i I think if we if if we were pretending it was a world that tyrese halliburton didn't exist it's it's all right i mean I hadn't scouted Vassell, I, I think, and and Avdia was he was showing some signs at least at least defensively before he before he had that scary leg injury, and that's of course unforeseeable. But part of what makes me so crazy about this Wizards offseason is they had this big jump where they got they got a lot better defensively. But a part of that was that Robin Lopez actually got to play more because they ha- intended for him to be the backup, but the starter got hurt. And so I'm not going to give Tommy Shepard credit full credit for that when that wasn't your intention and. Neto is a totally reasonable one and totally reasonable signing. And with Westbrook, I mean, I would say it worked out very well for the Wizards, not only because Westbrook helped propel them to the playoffs, but also because he held his value in a way that John Wall did not. And that is a really positive result. So I thought about moving this up. I was in the C, C minus range for a while. But then I also remember the Bertans contract, which is just so ridiculous, primarily in terms of years, where it's like, okay, you're giving a guy that you're not even intending to start you're giving him five years most of which is fully guaranteed to and at at high a high wage it's not like you're paying him 10 million yeah, a year and they don't control whether it guarantees it's based on games played not just they can't it, just waive yeah. him if they and, don't want to or if they want to. and the wizards had so little financial flexibility that like i mean i mean they ended up creating more in the eventual second westbrook trade but that that of course was not foreseeable at the time and so that contract is, and Bertans had a worse year than we did anticipate, but like that's a bad contract. Like that is from a process standpoint, from a, from a result standpoint, and from a the team specific nuances standpoint. And yeah, they got some contribution from Robin Lopez, but now he's gone into Orlando, and these they you know they didn't really gain the capacity to replace him. So I'd be fine, you know, like I could be talked into the low C range, but I mean there were so many things about this that were just so weird and so preventable that. I'm I'm still in I'm still a D plus. 
Yeah, I moved. I moved up to a C because I think the making the Russ trade, and you know they did get value for him for one year or two. They did make the playoffs. That's that's worth yeah, something. Even even when you're not Ted Leontis, that's worth something. Um, now they barely made it in, obviously, and they were 34 and 38 to get the eighth seed if the rest of the east hadn't been so injured they would not have made the playoffs so i think that's something that's important you know they were i guess beal eventually had the hamstring right at the end as well but they're able to win the play-in game uh or the second play-in game i should say over indiana yeah so i i ultimately went with a c but it was not a not a strong c <laughs> All right, well, that will do it for this episode. Thanks again for joining us, uh, of course. And we'll get into, in these next few weeks, we got to get some summer league stuff, obviously. We got to do this year's off-season grades that we can look back on uh, and laugh at. Although this was, I think, a less consequential off-season 2021 in the end than 2020 was as, as we look back on it. But uh, we thought this would be a huge off-season. It ended up being a relatively straightforward one. So yeah, we will talk to y'all. We're on this two-day uh, per week schedule, but giving you some long episodes, hopefully still. And we'll talk to y'all soon. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.